This is the Monday, December 18th, 2017 episode of the History Author Show. Visit our iHeartRadio channel or subscribe on iTunes to enjoy a brand new episode every Monday morning. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old pals of mine. The sawdust is gone from the floor. Where we harmonize, sweet Adeline, on the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys, oh, New York ain't New York anymore. Hello, history lovers, and welcome. I'm your host, Dean Carianis. And this is the History Author Show on iHeartRadio. This week, just in time to earn a spot on your young reader's wish list, we pack the family into our time machine and travel back to a familiar time and location at a pivotal moment in the American Revolution. The year is 1780, when one of the greatest heroes of the Continental Army, Benedict Arnold, decides to betray the American patriot cause by surrendering West Point to the British with the help of his Redcoat co-conspirator, Major John Andre. We talked about these infamous men when we visited the old 76 House restaurant and bar in Tapan, New York, the tavern where patriots kept Andre locked up after his capture and before his execution. It's a really unique historic spot and played a major role for all of the major players in the revolution. Remember that in those days, taverns weren't just a place to hang out, and they certainly weren't watching sports on big screen TVs. Taverns were kind of a city hall, where you'd meet, you'd get your mail, you'd check in with people, you'd take your meals if you were staying at somebody's home. Taverns were really the birthplace of the revolution. You can enjoy our episode recorded at the Old 76 House in the archives at historyauthor.com or wherever you're listening now. Our guide on this journey today is award-winning young adult novelist and nonfiction author, Selene Castrovilla. She brings us Revolutionary Rogues, John Andre and Benedict Arnold. It's the real history behind heavily dramatized stories such as AMC's Turn, Washington Spies, and the smash Broadway musical Hamilton. Selene Castrovilla holds an MFA in creative writing from New School University and a BA in English from New York University. Her third young adult novel, Melt, book one of the Rough Romance Trilogy, racked up six honors, including the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators Spark Award. Revolutionary Friends, her third nonfiction picture book, earned four awards, including Booklist Top 10 Biography for Youth. You can visit our guest at selencastrovilla.com, like her Facebook page, or follow her at scastrovilla on Twitter, and Selene Castrovilla on Instagram. Her first name is spelled S-E-L-E-N-E, and that last name is C-A-S-T-R-O-V-I-L-L-A. 
And you can also check out the artists behind the images half of Revolutionary Rogues at johnobrienillustrator.com. Okay, now that we've put on our tricorn hats and fife and drum music, let's travel back to the times that tried men's souls and meet Selene Castrovilla's Revolutionary Rogues. I'm joined on the line by Selene Castrovilla, author of Revolutionary Rogues, John Andre and Benedict Arnold. Thank you for making time to chat with the History Author Show. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you again for joining me. This is something very exciting, and I was saying to you just before we started recording that I have to remind myself I'm actually hosting a show here, not just having one of those conversations with a person that's as passionate about a sliver of the American Revolution, a sliver of history as I am, because I get really caught up with these, and I hope that people who are listening will sense that and realize you could take these journeys right here in books. just love books. I love Revolutionary Rogues here, and this slice of the revolution in our part of the world, the New York City, New Jersey, Long Island area, where a lot of the action is, it's very alive, and particularly this story of America's most infamous traitor and and his dashing British spymaster, this contact that he has in this effort to betray the American patriot cause. As an accomplished author who has so many ideas, who we have so much to talk about, I can imagine how many ideas you have when you're just out in your life talking to <laughs> other history-minded people and walking the ground where all this history occurred. What inspired you to focus on this one, to pull it out of your hat and tell this story for young readers? Well, it's a couple of things. I've always been fascinated with Benedict Arnold. When I heard about him in school, he might have been the one person that really stood out to me. History sometimes seems very cardboard to me. It was never really explained to me in terms of the people. It was just these dates and these battles and this and that. But then I would hear about this guy who was our greatest general, and then all of a sudden he betrayed us. And they never really went into why. They just stated it. So I just had this little voice in my head, why, why, why would this man do this, you know, I, I, and I just, in general, am interested in the psychology of people and, and why they hurt each other, so when I started focusing on the revolution, Arnold was just like immediately what I wanted to do, however, he was not appreciated by some other people, uh, they, they thought, a lot of people in my writing group would say, oh, no, 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 you want to focus on the heroes, you know, you don't want to focus on somebody that betrayed and it took me a really long time to get up the gumption to start researching him. And the other part of it is John Andre. John Andre is such a fascinating man who I had never heard of until I started researching, uh, in general, the revolution. But Benjamin Talmadge wrote a memoir. Benjamin Talmadge, some people have learned about of late in the show Turn. He's the best guy that, you, that nobody knows. He's like, he should be heralded by everybody. He's an amazing hero. And he wrote a memoir about his life in, in the war, and he was the one who discovered that Benedict Arnold betrayed Washington, but they didn't believe him enough to really... Ca they could have caught Arnold if they believed him a little bit more than they did. Um, it's, a little, it's a little complex, but he told the story about meeting Andre. He was the one that convinced them to hold Andre, and he originally told Andre that Andre was going to hang 
because of Nathan Hale. Nathan Hale was a very close friend of Talmadge, who was hanged at the beginning of the war for, for being a spy, you know, and this was one of the motivations of Talmadge to become a soldier. So he said to Andre, you are going to hang like my friend Nathan Hale. But they bonded so much in the few days that Talmadge was guarding, uh, was at least staying with Andre a large part of the time, and he became so so wrapped up, so consumed in this man, and they formed such a bond that Talmud said that when he saw Andre hanging there, it was almost as though his heart couldn't stand it. He just cared. He said he, he, was, he never cared about anyone as much as he did Andre. He said it more eloquently. It's a beautiful passage. And so I really wanted to know about this man that Talmud told, oh, he was pretty cold, like, you're going to hang, and then all of a sudden he couldn't bear the thought of watching him hang in just a few days. You know, and also, Andre gets mentioned in our history books here and there, like one minute he's in New York and the next minute he's being hanged. And I was like, well, how did this happen, you know? <laughs> so Andre really fascinated me because because I knew nothing about him. And, and so that was like, I must know. And it was the two factors, Arnold and Andre separately. But then when I put them together and I really learned the whole story, you couldn't tear me away from it. And it took me 10 years to get that thing written. Well, time well spent because it really jumps out to me as a writer, somebody who reads a lot, that you use the word so well. I remember reading way back in writing class that you have to put every word on trial, this woman said, this author, and she said, make each one justify itself. Oh, I like that. And it really made sense. <laughs> it really made sense to me because I said, you're going to have in any room full of people, right? They're doing a job. Oh, there's some that are just sort of shuffling their feet in the background, looking busy. There are some who don't really pull their weight. There are some that could be made stronger, that could be doing a better job. There are some that maybe you just don't have the room for in the room where you're trying to do the work or what have you. This is not her metaphor because uh, it would have been better thought out. But <laughs> in my head, when I look at words, I see little things like a, a little verb like be or the, you know, a form of be, to be, to was, something like that. And I say, what can I, what can I do with that to make that stronger, to kick that out and not have yeah. it be a weak link? And in this book, you do so many great things like that. And there's humor. We talk about all the senses should be invoked when you're writing great writing, but also the sense of humor, not just taste, smell, touch, things like that. Mm. But you have a, a line, for instance, and he's in a tavern. Major General Benedict Arnold sat in dim candlelight in the rear, drinking ale and brewing resentment which I thought was just yeah. a great, great. So oh, it's thanks. one sentence, yeah. but it tells you right there more than a hundred words maybe could tell you. And one sentence gives you an idea of the guy, so much about him and how he's sitting there stewing in the shadows. I, I, I have to tell you, I, I am really proud of that line. I, I worked really hard on that line, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Like I said, 10 years, time well spent. Well, that line actually didn't, that was one of my earlier lines that I kept. <laughs> okay. You know what I do? I, I use, it's like a thesaurus, but it's called uh, the Flip Dictionary. It's meant uh, specifically for writer, writers. Anyone could get it, though. But, uh, but um, And it really, it's just the most amazing. It's, it's like a thesaurus, but better. It's just so fine-tuned. Uh, so I just love sitting there and looking for these perfect words. Flaubert called it le mot juste. When you find that perfect word, and the use of any other word would make you nauseous. <laughs> that's and that's great. what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and you have another line like that. I mentioned this idea of invoking also the sense of humor as far as touching the senses. Here in your young readers, things that they love is this little subtle couple of puns that are in this line. You say, Benedict nearly choked on his eggs when the note about Andre arrived. This is after they discover that Andre has been captured. 
Jumping to his feet, he scattered silverware in a scrambling panic. Yeah. The little kid in me, who I work very hard to feed with books like Revolutionary Rogues, just thinks that's awesome. Oh, just thanks. That's yeah, that, that was a fun one, too. <laughs> I, and, and parents enjoy it. So that's you want to, you want to entertain parents as well as kids. Right. <laughs> you know? It makes sense. They're the ones reading. They're the ones buying, right? Yeah, and they have to read it a lot. You know, I mean, kids want to... And the teachers, you know, the teachers have to use the book a lot, you know, over and over again. So you want it, you want it to entertain everybody. Not just entertain, but I mean, I guess entertain and inform. It's, it's not so easy to do both. You know, the real, the real trick is to follow the story, tell the truth, but yet, you know, there's a lot of boring stuff in the truth. You have to find a way to make it entertaining, you know? Yeah, you definitely capture both things there. You can see where you'd capture somebody who's an adult like myself, but also kids when they're listening to this because the words have a music to them. Now having spoken to you in person and, and now here on the phone, you don't necessarily speak that way. I mean, nobody speaks like dialogue in a book or like a story in a book, but I could see where in the book I noticed right away or took note of it right away that it was so different from just speaking to you. It was really a talent. It's the only word that I can use for it. It's really a perfect blend of the way you're trying to tell a story and educate kids almost a little bit without them noticing it. Like when I was in the veterinary world or anyone who's had pets and need to give them a pill, right? You slip it in there a little bit into the food. Mm -hmm. But the right. the best medicine is the one that doesn't taste bad. When they started making you know, pills that you didn't have to pill your cat, they would just give right. it to you. Uh, those are the best ones. Where, or if you don't need to give them medicine, that's the best way because they look forward to having it. And that's what I felt like here reading Revolutionary Rogues. I said, I wish that I'd had this book when, when I was a kid. And I would love to sit there and read it because it is a fully formed story, and yet it's one that kids can maybe relate to. I, I don't know if, if that's the right word for it. They're not going to be betraying a, a, the patriot cause at this point in their I lives. I hope not, but, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but where it's not, as you said, just that black and white. But they can, they can relate to his feelings, you know, and, and, and what drove him to it. And, and hopefully they wouldn't do that, you know, but still they can certainly understand. We can understand. I try to illuminate everybody's side, you know. And honestly, I wrote this because I wish I had it when I was a kid. You know, this is exactly what I would have wanted. So, but I really appreciate what you're saying because it, it makes me feel so good to know that it actually worked out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to notice. I'm glad to be able to tell you. You start off Revolutionary Rogues with two quotes talking about illustrating the personalities here and, and being constrained by that economy of words. Andre says he's prepared for his fate in the king's service. He's very noble. He's very dedicated to his duty. John Andre, Major John Andre, is only 28 at this point, and yet he has this sense of honor, this sense of duty, whereas Benedict Arnold's quote that you use, he says, self-preservation is the first principle of human nature, unquote. Mm. So what well, we get from that something where, well, this guy is not only self-preservation, but we understand from the tone that it's selfishness right away by watching him throughout Revolutionary Rogues. Yeah. Why those two quotations to introduce these characters to your young readers? Well, I love quotes. I think they say so much about people. And these quotes perfectly represent the characters. You know, the book is set up like a play. So they're real people, but in essence, they're characters. And we're really seeing them in these quotes. Andre was so devoted to his cause and and yes, he did want glory, but he really wanted to do it in service for his country. And he was, he happened to believe that he was going to get a promotion and glory and all these things. But no matter what, he was tranquil to be doing the right thing. However, Arnold 
the right thing for him was for himself. And that just shows so much. That's just exactly how he was driven. He was always driven for himself, and he deluded himself to think that he was doing it for the country. But he, he really, you know, he, it was all for him. So when I saw that quote from Arnold, I knew the moment I saw it, I knew I had to use it. And, and then I found the Andre one later on. And, yeah, that's why. They're just perfect. Perfect setup. You get right away a sense of these two guys. And, Andre, it's really something which will – get to in a little bit. But when you open this book, I like that idea that this isn't something like a uh, punch in the face with a lot of those books, like Yertle the Turtle even with Dr. Seuss. You know, that was an idea of that he's the bad guy mm-hmm. and we're going to learn an allegory. It's an allegory for the fascist rise to power. <laughs> and we never look at Yertle the Turtle and say, well, okay, I don't know. What is this guy? You open the book, you sort of know from the cover, he's lording it all over all the other turtles on that big pile. And so that's straightforward. And there's there's definitely a place for that. Here your readers are a little bit older and they can get that idea of some nuance where they open it and it's not just, well, here's the here's the American trader and here's his evil British right. major who you know, the the devil speaks with a British accent, as they say. Right. And so, you know, oh gosh, that guy's just horrendous. And this may be the first book that young readers pick up like this and they say, well, this guy wasn't on my side, but I can respect him, which is very much how the people felt about him in the Patriot cause of the time. As you you mentioned there, Benjamin Talmadge. And he is going to say, well, I'm an American, but the people who were Tories were Americans too, of course. There's so much gray in the revolution. And these two guys are really at the nexus of it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's so important to understand that people are more than just, you know, the uniform that they're wearing. It's so complex what what drives people to do things. And just because someone, you know, is on the other side, quote unquote, they're still human. At the core, we're all human. And, and, you know, you, you can't just say, oh, you, you're my enemy. Off with your head, you know. Well, you can, but it doesn't. It doesn't make for a good well, person, yeah. and it doesn't make for a very right. good story. You when can you think say about it, but you yeah. said, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, well, what strikes me so much about the revolution is how much we can relate to it today. The people, the actions, the selfishness of some—it's it, so relevant, you know. Oh, I saw that at your website, selencastrovilla.com. This sort of, the same thing here where you could see, gosh, if I was a kid, well, we didn't have websites back then, but if I did, I would have said, I love this. This writer is going to put in these quotes for me because I too love quotes and always did even at that age. And you say these are all stories, whether they're 200 years ago or whether they're last week, they're stories of people and human beings and you want to flesh them out and enjoy it. And to see you be so passionate about it and then want to share it with kids, not just write some serious academic book. And you did the same thing with Benjamin Talmadge, who you've mentioned here in your book, By the Sword. That helped you here. I guess some of the research overlapped, didn't it? I would I would suppose oh, yeah. for telling this story. Yeah, you know, I found the Talmadge story uh, by the sword, but he was a teacher and by the sword of the story of leaving his teaching position and just rushing off to the Battle of Long Island and which the Battle of Long Island was the most incredible thing, how Washington saved all his men after being defeated. I'm still stunned by it all these years later after after writing it. Yeah. So that was just a, like a little mention in his memoir. You know, it was like a page, you know. And when I read that, I said, oh, I have to tell this story. It, and it was while I was doing research, really for the spy ring, the Cobra spy ring. And that was my first introduction to Andre because Talmadge was part of the spy ring. And that's how he wound up catching uh, 
well, he was he was up there doing a patrol anyway, but he was onto the whole thing because of being part of the culprit spying. So it was all his memoir. Tom is just like the link through everything. Hmm. And yet, uh, kind of lost to history for a while. People didn't know, huh? Yeah, you know, he's just so low key. He really did it just for the country. <laughs> he didn't really want any credit. He, he's really an amazing guy. I urge everyone to read his memoir. Just beautiful. And he actually wrote the only account that we have of Washington's farewell to his troops at Francis Tavern. And you can see that. It, you, you could, the passage is in, uh, well, you can read it in the book. But it, they have it in uh, Francis Tavern. They have his portrait there. He really is amazing. I've actually written a screenplay about him, uh, which won an award. Hopefully it will get made. And if anyone's listening, <laughs> you know, Andre is also featured prominently in the screenplay. But it's really about Talmadge because he's just quite, quite the hero. And that's in By the Sword, some of that, I would suppose. Absolutely, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Lafayette, the Marquis de Lafayette is in there, which is fantastic. Lafayette is, is an amazing guy, too. I mean, I mean, he gave up everything. He was this wealthy kid. He did not have to do anything except just enjoy his cushy life in, in France. And when he heard about our cause, he just jumped into action. He, he said his heart was enlisted. And he, had to, he had to come. And he paid for his own ship. The king told him he couldn't come. He asked permission. I don't know why the king said no, but he did. Lafayette defied him, paid for the ship, snuck out of France, paid for a crew, and spent months on the sea, seasick every day, still managed to learn English, and then uh, landed in South Carolina and then had to pretty much walk here because his carriage broke. And then, <laughs> wow. and then when he got there, he said, I'm here to help. And he had been commissioned by Benjamin Franklin. And they slammed the door in his face. They're like, no, we don't want any more foreigners. <laughs> Imagine all that. Yeah. And then he still, he, was, he, he said, please, 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 you don't have to pay me. And so they let him volunteer, how nice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they still didn't give him a command. They just gave him like an honorary sash, like he was a beauty contestant or something. <laughs> you know, so he went through a lot of indignities, and he still was our champion, and, and quite amazing. Washington invited him to stay in his quarters because he knew he was important in France. He didn't know that the king was angry and didn't want him to come. And so Lafayette saw it as an immediate bonding because he was invited, but I think Washington did it more, you know, for diplomacy. But he did bond with him pretty quickly, which is amazing for Washington. That's true. We talked about that in the book, Washington and Hamilton, and countless other books, Washington's Journey was another book, another interview that I did. He was a tough guy to get close to, yeah. in part because he maintained that regal bearing that he had, which was required here for him to be the commander. I mean, he didn't have he didn't have a lot of structure, so if he was going to be a commander, he was going to have to do it a lot of it through force of will. And so to see him there with Lafayette and how he works his way into him and how yeah. it's selfless, so much of this. You said Talmadge, selfless guy. Andre, a selfless guy, all dedicated to duty. And then you look at Benedict Arnold and you say, yeah. you could have learned from that. I mean, he's this great general, this great soldier, and he is beloved, but he focuses on all these little slights and things that were legitimate grievances that he had, but he just stews on them there in the back. He brews on them. He lets them ferment inside him as yeah. you're talking about him there in that back of that yeah. saloon. And if you let if you let that beer go too long, it's going to get skunked, right? And that's Absolutely. sort of what happens with yeah. what's inside yeah. Benedict Arnold here in Revolutionary Rogues. And I, I even love the title, Revolutionary Rogues, because a rogue can be two things. It can be that dashing rascal guy 
guy that mm-hmm. men want to be like him and women want to be with him, they used to say in the 50s and the 1950s, rather. I guess I have to be specific. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, But it's also somebody who's bad, somebody who's a bad egg. And so this is asks the uh, kids right away maybe to learn a new word and see some of these shadows. Well, thanks. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, that title just, like, came to me. Well, we wanted, you know, Revolutionary Friends, which is the Lafayette book, did really well, and so they wanted like a counterpoint title for my next book. It's not, you know, it's not a sequel or anything. You can read them totally independently, but we wanted them to be sort of, you know, counterparts of each other. So I just said Revolutionary Rogues, and my editor said, oh, I like that. You know, it was just like popped out of nowhere. This book had many, many titles. I can't even remember the, the earlier ones, but this really came up after the success of Revolutionary Friends which I'm really grateful for. I was actually writing this before Revolutionary Friends, but my editor was very excited about the Marquis de Lafayette, so we wound up doing that one first. Well, he's easy to get excited about. My wife and I were house shopping, and there was a street that we looked at one on, and it's Lafayette Avenue. Mm-hmm. I said, I just want to warn you, if we buy this house, every time that I someone asks where we live, I'm going to say, Lafayette, we are here. That's, yes, I love that, yes. <laughs> if you love Lafayette, you should join the American Friends of Lafayette. This is a plug. You know, there's a group of us, and we go around all, to all the places where Lafayette was, and, wow. and we celebrate him. We go to Yorktown Day every year. Anybody should join that loves Lafayette. We have the best time celebrating Lafayette. You can Google American Friends of Lafayette. It's anybody who is a fan of Lafayette should join this group, and it's just the best group of people I've ever met. Like I said, we go to Yorktown. We go all over the place and do all things Lafayette. And for those who might not know my nerd reference, that's the phrase that the American Expeditionary Force says when they come from America over to France, where they feel they should have, as my high school history teacher described it, something really high-minded and dramatic and friendly to say, and this idea of France being our oldest ally. And so they land and they say, Lafayette, we are here. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a great sentiment. And then you look at the carnage that's awaiting those doughboys and all that's happened in the trenches and everything. And yeah. it is a bittersweet moment. It reminds you that they started out that war with just such high expectations and thinking it was going to be over so fast. And they go there mm-hmm. with this idea of we're going to support an ally here and we're going to make the world safe for democracy. And unfortunately, it doesn't work out that way. Again, more of these gray areas that you're speaking about here in Revolutionary Rogues. War is so filled with gray area. I mean, Look at Lafayette with the French Revolution. That thing really went yeah. badly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just very bad. And, and, you know, so what can we say? War, war is hell, basically, and, and it's never simple. I don't like war, but yet you learn so much about people in war, you know, and, and that's the fascinating thing. When someone's in a war, there's really no time for them to put on any airs. You really learn their character. So it's a fascinating time to study people, all sides of it and the motivations, and whether we agree or not, it really is a fascinating thing. When we met, it was at the old 76 house in Tapan, New York. I enjoyed something there that I haven't had the chance to do with any other author that I can recall, and that's watch you chat with history buffs who were so invested in a lot of the local history, which is great, but also people pick up some of these myths, and that's not to be condescending to anybody. It's something that I do too, and I always say when I started doing this show, I'm going to have to love to be corrected, and I do. I don't want to be walking around giving false things. I mean, if the American Expeditionary Force didn't say that great quote, I don't want to be out there telling people that they did just right. because it sounds good, right? So right. I saw you deal with some of those readers, and 
it was really inspiring. It made me smile as I stood there because I'm watching you say to people, well, why do you think that was a question that you asked a couple of them. And this lady I'm thinking of in particular, this older lady, she clearly was inspired by Andre's story, Andre having been held prisoner there, as everybody in Japan, New York knows, and having been executed on the hill behind the tavern. And she said, I think it just broke Washington's heart that he had to execute Andre. And that was something that as somebody who reads history and knows it and tries hard to keep myself out of it, I realized she just loves Washington. She doesn't want to think of him doing anything bad. Yeah. And she loves Andre, so she wants to work that in. Right. And right. you just asked her, why do you think that? Really? You think that? And it wasn't in yeah. a condescending way. It wasn't in anything negative. You don't want to make her feel foolish. She was nice enough to come to your event, obviously, and buy your book. Yeah. So you, you didn't want to make her feel bad. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because we talked about the the little – boy Dean inside me. And I know if I'd come to you with a question like that and you dealt with me that way, I would have been really happy because I'm sure I would have been shy. It would have been hard for me to come up to you and talk to you about somebody great as Washington and tell you something here. You're a writer. You have a book. I would have been, I would have just thought you were a magic elf basically. And so I would have been, (laughs) it would have crushed me if you said something like, I mentioned Theodore Roosevelt. This is pretty far afield, but Theodore Geisel, I said, wrote great books there like Green Eggs and Ham under that pseudonym, all those books, Cat in the Hat. When he was a little kid, he was at a award ceremony for the Boy Scouts and Theodore Roosevelt came up. They'd only given him, I think, six medals here for these boys. And Theodore Geisel was the seventh boy. And Theodore Roosevelt said, what is this boy doing here? And that little boy, when he grew up and he became this renowned illustrator and and drew all these pictures, it gave him a lifelong fear of public speaking because of what had happened. He felt like he didn't belong. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I'm sure that Theodore Roosevelt didn't mean anything by it, but he was always booming. He asked, why is he here? And he, oh. he felt like, oh, and I, I didn't belong. And so that, that brings me back to, on a smaller level here, to this idea of how you deal with these readers and how you deal with kids and people who maybe have a misconception. How do you steer them gently towards the real history? Well, I think the key is really you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings because people really believe in these things, and there's a reason why they did. They were probably brought up being told the stories or, you know, somehow romanticized it, you know, and and it's very easy. I was told a lot of things that I believed growing up also, and I continued to believe them until my research disproved it. So, like saying, well, why do you think that? And then maybe I'll just throw in something that I learned that taught me differently. But generally, I'll be like, well, you know, I kind of thought that too. But then I I found this other thing. So then that kind of led me to this thought. So if I kind of say, hey, I, I hear you, I can certainly understand why. And I wish it was like that. But I found this that sort of disproves that. You know, you have to let people down as you would want to be let down. You know, I certainly have had things happen to me that I learned were wrong later on. When I was researching the spies, there was a woman, Anna Strong, with her petticoats. I was so excited, she hung up her petticoats as a signal to the spies. And this was like my lead. This was like everything to me when I was writing this book. And then the historian for the Three Village Historical Society, Bev Tyler, said to me, you know, nobody can prove that she did that. You know, that is just like a myth. I'm like, I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) I was writing my whole book about that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And that's actually the one spot. That is actually the thing that that, that my friend told me. There was a woman that hung up her petticoats. That was the whole reason I was led into the story. And it was not true. So myths are everywhere. And we should never feel badly about them. If something about them has, has sparked us, 
it's actually a comforting thing. But so then we learn the truth. It's not embarrassing. It's just, you know, and I have learned to be a little more diplomatic. I'm glad I did it well that night. Sometimes I might be less diplomatic. It, sometimes if someone really catches me off guard with something, um, I've had some talks with people about Washington crossing the Delaware. Not that he didn't, he did. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've had, I've had some disagreements about whether that was his finest moment. <laughs> Because I don't think it was. <laughs> but more many subjective. people think it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think his finest moment was when he saved his men, when he crossed the East River and saved all his men after they were defeated. I've learned how to sort of discuss it more, you know. And, um, you know, it, everyone, people have their opinions about things, and you just have to let them down as you would want to be let down. And, and you know, sometimes, who knows, maybe, maybe you never know. There is the person that could say, hey, I have this letter maybe they produce something that changes everything that's the thing about history sometimes we can come across something and it's like whoa that changes everything you ne- you never know it could be in someone's attic but washington as far as i know never felt badly about hanging on well he might have felt he 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 said a couple of things about andre but he never regretted doing it because it was it was the war it was what he did he went on and he was fuming about about arnold fuming and someone's head was going to roll, you know, or he was, someone's neck was going to snap, you know, and <laughs> yeah. he couldn't get Arnold. That's all what he wanted. And it was really, really to his detriment because he could have had every prisoner returned to him. You know, that was quite an amazing offer from Clinton. Every prisoner he could have gotten back. But no, he only wanted Arnold. So, no, I think that was not one of his finest moments. But listen, he was completely betrayed. He loved Arnold. So we, we, I understand it. This is like one of those raw, passionate moments. He's in pain, you know. That is one of the reasons why I was drawn to the story. Like, you know, Arnold himself I was very interested in, but why I was drawn to this particular betrayal when, when Washington uh, found out that he was betrayed and he was sitting in Arnold's quarters and just so distraught. And Alexander Hamilton said, someone has to go get Lafayette. Only Lafayette can comfort Washington. And that was the whole thing that led me right into Lafayette. I was like, why is this French guy the only guy that can comfort Washington? <laughs> and and it was just like this raw emotion, this betrayal. We can all relate to that, you know. You know, we can all relate to that. So I checked very carefully in how Washington reacted and everything after that. And I, I can say with, with a lot of certainty, as much as I can without having been there, going back in a time machine, that he never really regretted it. He just kind of went on. That, that's what they, they had no time for, for anything. They were so busy. They were like, go, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. But it is romantic to believe that, you know. There's a lot of romanticism involving Andre and Arnold. There really is, you know, a lot. <laughs> You're enjoying my chat with Selene Castrovilla, author of the riveting nonfiction picture book for readers 9 to 12 years of age, Revolutionary Rogues, John Andre and Benedict Arnold. You can visit our guest at com. That first name is spelled S-E-L-E-N-E. You can toss her a like at facebook.com slash Castrovilla and follow S. Castrovilla on Twitter as well as Selene Castrovilla on Instagram. And you can check out the artist behind the images at johnobrienillustrator.com. Kirkus Reviews calls the illustrations in Revolutionary Rogues stellar for young history buffs and says, quote, a visually exciting introduction to a famous spy case and a name synonymous with traitor. 
Selene, I also had the chance to talk to John O'Brien when you were there answering questions and welcoming your readers and fans, small and tall alike, at the old 76 house. He was drawn, no pun intended, to the history of revolution, maybe not so different from the way you and I were as young people. He's really passionate about it. John said that often publishers keep the illustrator and author separate. Describe your working relationship with John O'Brien as you brought Revolutionary Rogues to life. Well, to tell you the truth, we worked together in a way not really directly. It was kind of through my editor. The first time I ever met him was that night at the 76 house and he's only the second illustrator that I've met I've had you know I've had five and he's the second one I've met in person I'm thrilled to meet him I think he's amazing but when he sent the pictures it was really through my editor so I had the responsibility of sending the artwork to my experts I have many experts that I work with but I have three that I ask them will you come back and, and look at the illustrations and everybody comes up with something different. So it, it's so important to get the illustrations accurate. And he did a lot of research on his own, but then we we always go back to the experts. So he, rather than him look for his own experts, we, we use the same experts that I used for my research. But in any case, it's not really direct work. I would have loved to like go and like go hang out with him and have coffee and go over them, but that's not what happened. My editor got to go have coffee with him and hang out with him. So uh, I don't know why, but that's how it works. But sometimes if in a non-historical picture book, like where it's, you know, pure fiction, illustrator and the writer never have any kind of interaction, even like there's nothing about, there's no comments about the, uh, the illustrations, there's nothing, it's just the book comes out. So in this case, there was a checking of the illustrations, but really no direct rapport, unfortunately, because he's so charming. And the work is, I'm so, I couldn't be more thrilled with this artwork. It, it's just stunning. It captures so many things and so few lines. This isn't yeah. a Rembrandt portrait or anything like that, but you can get it so much just with those colors, with the, the trees, for example, because it's autumn. And so mm. Andre's riding through there, and then you are – so there you go. There you have the visual sense taken care of. And then you talk about Andre. He's breathing it in. He's smelling the leaves. He's smelling fall. He's sensing something. So we're right there with him. And then at the end, when there's the execution, you see the look on these townsfolks. They're not there with yeah. some kind of bloodlust. You know, and you can, and that adds all of that to your prose where we start to understand people. We feel with Andre, you describe him as shaking when Arnold tells him, okay, your, yeah. your ship has sailed away now. And so you've got to strip off your uniform and take these papers that basically show how awesome I am. Right. And, exactly. you know, Andre doesn't want to do that. He says, gosh, General Clinton told me don't take off your uniform. And if I take off my uniform, I can be you know, executed as a spy. Yeah. This is something that kids can't relate to in their world. As I'm, yeah, well, well, Arnold was a bully. He was a big yeah. bully. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. he pushed him, and it was peer pressure. And reading Revolutionary Rogues has made me get in touch with that little Dean inside me. And I say, gosh, there's some bigger kid here was telling me, and yeah. and certainly he's older than Andre is. Arnold is older than Andre is. Mm-hmm. So he's telling him, oh, come on, just do this. You know, come on, just just take off your clothes and put on this, and now stop shaking and be. And he's he's just railroaded into it. He's pushed into it. And as yeah. you said, this was not what he was trained to do. This was not his first choice here. He just wanted to do his duty and this is what came up and he did it and he did it for himself yes but not for selfish reasons and that's a distinction that's pretty stark here for the two of them yeah so he ends up there 
in the old 76s. He's captured. He's turned over to Washington. He's there. Hamilton is now tearing up Broadway. Alexander Hamilton is there in the old 76 house. Washington is there. And I wanted to mention some of those pop culture things. You mentioned AMC's TV show Turn because Mm -hmm. we mentioned myths and how they can be just innocently misread or passed down. But then you have something like a TV show or a play. It's going to be just mainlined right into your bloodstream or right into the collective consciousness where people are going to be shown visual images that tell them the wrong things, that tell them people look different, that tell them things like the yeah. petticoat being hung out there as a symbol. So, well, Turn did a lot. Turn did a lot more than, than talk about the petticoat. I mean, they really um, maligned her character. I mean, they, they have her cheating on her husband. I have a real problem with that. I, I can't lie. You know, I, I, I don't think we should say things about people that are heroes. I think it's great that it's on TV and, and that it brings people's attention to it, okay? I, I think it's great that anything that excites people about history, but I really draw the line at sensationalism. I will say I, I did not watch it because I knew. I am a real purist when it comes to history, and I knew it would upset me. I know. It was the first thing you said to me. It was the first thing. I'm laughing because I just said to you about how nicely you handle these people that approach at you. And now I'm realizing, wait a minute, when I came up to you and just asked you if you'd watch the show, you said, no, I don't. I don't want to lie. I get so angry. (laughs) (laughs) Again, maybe the little kid Dean would would have been a little bit put off. But for me, I understand that because I look at these historic figures sometimes. You talk about historical fiction and you say, you have to work within the person's personality to be fair to them and to be just to them. And if it's somebody who was faithful to their husband... She definitely was faithful. She was working so hard to get her husband off the prison ship, (laughs) you know. Oh, which was a horror. Let's not talk about that. Oh, it's a miracle he didn't die on that ship. So many people died on the prison ship, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, It was basically a death ship. There was absolutely zero, zero evidence that she ever would cheat on him, especially (laughs) with Abraham Woodall, who was like this stuttering... (laughs) <laughs> little farmer, like, this is not going to happen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just don't know why they would do that. Like, it really upset me, you know. No, you don't say. And, and that, I didn't. I didn't even watch it, and it upset me. Can you imagine if I watched it? <laughs> you, <laughs> no, you, you don't say it upset you because I really I'm having to drag it out of you here. The, the yeah. passion. What, what I, do you I, really I, feel? <laughs> I never say how I feel. And Hamilton, and I saw Hamilton, and I, I appreciate it. Believe me, it's very creative. Really brilliant. It, it is quite something. And for somebody to, you know, read a biography and to come up with that, it's amazing. Not thrilled with the way that Lafayette is portrayed because he's kind of like the little comic relief funny guy. You know, like he just jumps out and says a little French phrase now and then, you know. But I could even accept that. And they also, they put him in, the, they put him in New York in 1776. Not, that's not so. I don't know why they do it. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> that's not going to hurt anybody. Hopefully people will find out. It's not the worst thing in the world, you know. But when they say... During the Battle of Yorktown, out in the harbor is Lafayette with the French. Oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't. I can't take that because Lafayette's the whole reason we had the Battle of Yorktown. He's the one that cornered Cornwallis at Yorktown. Okay, it was a cat and mouse game, and first Lafayette was the mouse, and then he became the cat. He's the one that bottlenecked him there, and then the French fleet did come, and they blocked the harbor so that the British could not come and rescue Cornwallis. That's true, but he was not on those ships. He was fighting as an American 
and he sent the note to Washington and waited for Washington to come to complete the battle so Washington could be there for the big end. It was him all the way, and he was the reason the French joined. He went back and convinced the king, who told him not to come, he convinced that king to join, to join us. So everything is because of Lafayette at Yorktown. And to say that he's just like waving from a ship, that bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I love? I'm sorry. No, you know what I love about this is that you have all of this right at the top of your head. And I'm a history-minded person like that, too, where I could just start going off. You have that all that passion, all that knowledge. So I love that. But here you take all that knowledge you just had and you distill it down here into Revolutionary Rogues and into a book that's, I don't know how many words, but it's certainly not as many words even as you just spoke there, probably. <laughs> you know, it because and and then I think that's that's amazing to meet that challenge and to put it in this context and to put it in that form for children. You didn't back off from it and say, gosh, I just wanna I just wanna hear myself write. You know, I just wanna write a yeah. maybe I'll write a big nonfiction book, which you could have done, but you wanted to share it with young people and you wanted to put them in this shaking figure of Andre, for instance. You wanted to make them see that even though he's wearing the red coat, even though the British were our enemies in the war, that we had this disagreement that spilled over into bloodshed, he becomes a sympathetic figure here in America, even to the people that meet him. As you said there, meeting him and saying, gosh, don't do this. Hamilton saying, we love this guy, you know? So many people saying that. It's such an amazing moment when you think, there he is, and he's saying, I'm going to put the noose around my own neck, Andre. Well, yeah. unless that's wrong. Yeah. You tell me. I don't think it is. No, but, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But he has all those moments, Andre, where people are weeping. People are sad. And yeah. I think that's an amazing thing there, especially now. We talked about popular culture and sensationalized. Some of the movies and TV shows that kids are subjected to, never mind video games, Life is so cheap and so fast, and it's yeah. very easy for a writer to demonize somebody, right? I mean, you look oh, at the yeah. next movie that you watch, for instance, uh, Star Wars, which everyone is familiar with. When Han Solo shoots Greedo, now, okay, he's a bug-like looking creature with big eyes, and you know, now there's a whole debate over who shot first. <laughs> Han Solo shot first. But anyway, it, it's obvious in the movie. But, okay, who's the guy? He's this bug-like creature. He's not speaking English. He's got those those creepy, scaly skin. He's named Greedo, which the root of the word is greed. Right, right. He, he's completely dehumanized, completely alien, literally. Right. Whereas if that's a bounty hunter who maybe is a young woman, maybe if it's a 15-year-old boy who just stumbles upon him and he's trying to take him in and Han Solo has to kill him, no sympathy at all for Han right. Solo. The, the viewers would lose it. Right. And that's something that you do here. As I said, he, he becomes a sympathetic guy, and that's how people feel about him today. I mean, I, it's funny. I look at the roads there around the old 76 house and yeah. the other places where he's been captured, where there's signs, and there's a road named after him. There, there's, a, there's a monument to yeah. where he was executed. Yes. There's yeah. there's an ice cream shop that's up there where, where yeah. he met with uh, Arnold. Mm -hmm. Well, the house is gone now, but there's a plaque for the trees house and it's amazing because right. he's everywhere and yet the name Benedict Arnold is literally expunged everywhere. It's not even at Saratoga where he wins this great victory. And yet Andre, we managed to say, well, you know, the guy was the guy was doing his duty. That's true. And so let's yeah, put up yeah. a monument to him and say he was uh, Westminster Abbey. Yeah. There you go. In fact, you list here in Revolutionary Rogues plenty of these places where people can visit and parents can take their kids after they read the book and really walk on the ground. I yeah I I went I took my kids there to, to Westminster Abbey to look for for Andre and I can't you know it, it's exciting to do stuff like I think all parents should do that 
not, I mean, you can't if you can't afford to go to England. I understand, but you know, if you, say you live, you know, uh, in New York, to go take a road trip, there's so much just in New York to bring history alive to kids. It, it's it's an amazing gift to them. You know, they'll they'll always remember it, and and it just to be in the place where it happened. There's nothing better. And it starts their imagination going. Also, they it, not only are they learning about that one thing, but then they start thinking about history in a whole other way, and it just broadens their horizons to whole new things. And the know? old seventy six house—that's cool too, because this is a little bit interactive oh, there. I love yeah. it. There. <laughs> Kids can go, and then you know yeah. they have the little tricorn hat, and they have things like that that they can try yeah. on. And it's a really a welcoming place. I mean, he did such a great job there, Robert Norton. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, connection is that his family used to own Francis Tavern, so these. These people really care. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize that, but that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they really care about the history of it, and I hope people will yeah. want to go back maybe and listen to that interview with the old 76 house or 76 house. They are on the 20 bus, even if you don't have a car, right from Port Authority. You can go up there and wind your way. It's literally right outside. He he goes out in the morning with a, with a pot of coffee and gives coffee there to commuters waiting online in that little town. It's That's, that's wonderful. It's also a uh, apparently a Pokemon ghost. Oh, house, really? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that you like, huh? maybe Pokemon's <laughs> hanging out the bloomers. No, I don't like it. I just I find it amusing. I find it very amusing. Well, anything to get you know? people to history. Maybe that's like I said. There, there's yes. some guardrails where you wouldn't you wouldn't completely go overboard. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. And I think that for maybe dramatists, just don't think that way, or they have much broader guardrails than than you or I might. But yeah, I feel like there's certain things where yeah. you just shouldn't make the person do that. I know in Harry Turtledove's books, even though they're alternate history, I always feel like, meh, I can't see an alternate history. It's not that far afield where you'd have somebody like Theodore right. Roosevelt visiting prostitutes who was even against second marriages, although he had one. He berated himself for it. You know, he was, he was a loyal guy. I can't see, like, to me, that was too far afield, even in alternate universe, even though maybe that was part of the point he was trying to make. You don't want someone writing stuff like that about you when you're dead. I mean, no, give him another, no, give him another name. You know, yeah. give her another name if you want yeah, to do that. Exactly. Just take the first name and make the last name Leibowitz Yes, yes, you that know? would be different. Yes, you're yeah, right. It's like that. that would make all the difference. Yeah, say it's yeah. a composite, but don't use the person's yeah, name on, on there. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a form of desecrating the grave. Yeah, I know? think so, I do, so, yeah. So that's the thing. We get protective of these historic people, and if you want to raise a young person or you know a young person... There's plenty of things out there to be passionate about that are certainly not as wholesome or useful in life as history. So Revolutionary Rogues is really going to turn kids on to that level of being excited. And why not? Especially right now at Christmas yeah. or whatever holiday you're celebrating. Hanukkah still has a few days left here as we're recording this. Why not turn kids on to these stories? You know, Why not get out there and, and say, hey, wouldn't it be great if instead of wanting to go to the GameStop or wherever it is, if kids wanted to go to Japan, New York and go to the old 76 house and and see where Andre was yeah. executed and this kind of thing. I think that's great. And it gets them active thinking. You know, the thing about these games is so passive and it just dulls their minds. And, and when you read, your mind is activated and, and it's the possibilities are endless. It's, reading a book is like a turn on the light. You know, playing a game is like turn off the lights. I have a real problem with, with, with the passiveness of all those things. And not to mention the violence in some of them. It's just not helping kids develop their minds at all. It's, it's just doing something that someone else created but with a book you're participating when you're reading it your mind goes further with questions you know it's possibilities are endless and I'd venture to guess that in 30 years from now if you have kids and they think back to the times of their childhood they're not, they're not going to remember when you gave them that game 
I'm not going to remember when they sat there and right. played for 30 hours. You know, I, I saw a cartoon today from The New Yorker that I look at when I'm seeing you at Selene Castro Villa on Instagram, and they have a lot of New Yorker cartoons. And yes. there's a man, and he's uh, he's there laying sick on what I guess is his deathbed with the IV in him, and his wife's at his bedside, and he says, I wish I'd spent more time looking at my phone. And so I said, you know, no, nobody's going to think that. Nobody's going to think, I wish I wish I saved the princess on Donkey Kong or yeah. whatever kids do today. It's a, later on, you know, when you so get older ridiculous. and you want a distraction, yeah. do it. But yeah. this is this is just great here. We have John O'Brien's illustrations of things like Andre's execution to fill those young minds with something that's real history, people lining the streets, again, not to jeer at him, but with genuine sadness on their yeah. faces. We talked about Dr. Thatcher's. In fact, we did a recreation of Dr. Thatcher's read for the old 76 House episode. Mm. It's something that really touches you, touches yeah. you looking back to history. These are real people, and John Andre's neck was certainly very real. Yeah. I wanted to close by asking you, when those young readers finish those last pages, what do you hope that they'll take away with them about the significance of this failed betrayal of West Point by Arnold and of Major John Andre's execution? And just how multifaceted these two men were. What about this story? Do you want to stick with them for 30 years from now? I guess I want them to think about the heart of each man, what was going on inside the heart, and to have empathy, really for both of them, even though Arnold, I certainly think he was a villain, but it's up to the reader. I'm not going to, everybody can have their own opinion, but still to understand, to empathize, why did he do this? Did he have his reasons? And, and it's okay to empathize with somebody that's done a bad thing because we should try to always not forgive them, but we should always try to get to the literal heart of the matter, the heart inside the man. It not These are not just one-dimensional people. Like when you read the textbook and it says, you know, Benedict Arnold did this, you know, in, in, in one line. No, we want we want to think about the whole picture of them. What what drove them to this treason? And well, treason on the behalf of Arnold, and really just service to his king, uh, Andre's behalf. What drove them, and what was going through their minds? And th- I just want them to think about the flesh and blood of of these people, and and whatever conclusion they have about it, it's fine. And they they certainly are free to think what they want. I I had a little kid. My first reading of this book, we there was you know I read it and the, the the kids were all kind of stunned in the end and one kid yelled out I'm glad he got away, and I said okay what well, that's fine you know <laughs> that's fine you know I, you you are certainly entitled to that opinion you know so I just hope that I gave them enough enough fuel for their imagination that they are still thinking about it and as you get older, you know it's it's like any kind of literature though you read it. You read it when you're young and you have one opinion, and then you read it when you're older and you can have another opinion. And so history is like that, too. You might have one opinion when you're younger, but then you revisit it, you think about it, and you can totally have a different view of it. That's what I hope. I hope that they keep thinking about it. Well, Selene Castrovilla, author of Revolutionary Rogues, I certainly will keep thinking about this book. I think of it now every time I drive past the old 76 house or when I drive by Andre Hill, which is where the marker is for where Major John Andre met his fate. 
I hasten to mention we are also fellow cat lovers. Yeah. You care about animals. You care about history. It's something that really makes this a passionate conversation. I really want to thank you for that because I love your passion. And I love that you're sharing it with young people, which is something near and dear to my heart. You brought the Arnold Andre conspiracy to life for us today. I wish you the best of luck with the book. I hope it shows up on many gift lists this year. It is indeed the perfect gift to get the young reader on your holiday list interested in the history of America's founding. It is entertaining and educational. And I know, again, talking to little Dean in my head, he really wishes it was possible for him to find it in his Christmas stocking Uh. on all those Merry Christmases all those years ago. But this is the next best thing, reading it now. So thank you again very much for your time, for sharing the book, for meeting me at the old 76 house. And again, best of luck with the book. I hope lots of people will want to check it out. Well, Dean, thank you. This has been such a pleasure and, and so much fun. And I really appreciate you having me. What a thrill to talk with you about all this. I can't have had a better evening. Thank you so much. Pleasure was all mine. Aw, thanks. Well, happy holidays. (laughs) Again, the book is Revolutionary Rogues, John Andre and Benedict Arnold. As always, you can find the Amazon link to purchase your copy at historyauthor.com. And we hope you will click through there. Or even navigate through the Amazon banner on our homepage the next time you purchase anything from Amazon. We're all buying a lot of things this year. Well, why not take a second to go to historyauthor.com. We take in Amazon through our banner. And Amazon.com gives us a small portion of every dollar you spend at no additional charge in your shopping cart. It's kind of like your gift to us. For just those few extra clicks of your finger, you can help us keep the flux capacitor on our time machine humming like usual. I really want to thank Selene Castrovilla for joining me and for introducing young readers to this pivotal moment of early American cloak and dagger. Selene just had so much passion. It was great to hear. I hope you'll check her out at selenecastrovilla.com. Toss her a like at Facebook, follow her on Twitter, or even check out her pictures on Instagram. You can visit the artist who brought Andre and Arnold to life, as well as all those townspeople of Japan who lamented this brave British soldier's execution at johnobrienillustrator.com. And while you're logged on, let us know what you think of the book and the interview on Twitter History Dean or Facebook.com slash history author and we have an instagram account now too the handle is the history author show well that's it for this revolutionary installment of the history author show i hope you'll join us for our next all-new interview right here on iHeartRadio. and if you're an itunes subscriber please take a minute to leave us a review well until our next trip into the past together thanks so much for time traveling with us today and have a great week. We still call it Broadway, but what's in a name? Take it from Georgie, it isn't the same. On the east side, west side, things ain't like before. There are tears in the eyes of the regular guys. Oh, New York ain't New York anymore.